Are you lonely? Sad? <laughs> pathetic? Are you a garbage human being with no re redeeming qualities whatsoever? Lift your head up, barely sentient scum, for your life is now given purpose. By voting Touch Biloxi this year's as, as Best Solo or Duo Act in this year's Covey Awards, even your tiny, meaningless existence can be given impetus. Vote now at coastobserver.com under the Covey Awards tab. Then call your parents and let them know that yes, Mom, I can do more than record-setting amounts of, of heroin. But also, I voted Touch Biloxi in the Covey Awards as Best Solo or Duo Artist and have thusly become a driving force of change within my community. Now get out of my room, I'm trying to do heroin. Touch Biloxi, be humbled in his light and rejoice. Praise Mark. <laughs> Welcome back to an, another episode of the Open Micers Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm Jacob Craig, and our guest today is Mr. Cody Prevost. You can watch the video for his newest single, Down the Line, on the Cody Prevost YouTube channel or CodyPrevost.com. Welcome to the show, Cody. Hey, thanks, boys. This is great to be here. <laughs> I was telling you a little earlier my first Discord interview, so this is uh, this is new to me, but it's exciting. And thanks for having me on the show; it's amazing. Oh, dude, thank you for coming on. Um, had a little bit of technical difficulties when we first got on, uh, <laughs> but dude, that's, that's, always, that's just given on any any, any day of the week. So anybody's wondering, yes, our entire month of August has been uh, bankrolled by. Touch Biloxi himself, Mark Simmons, and you are going to hear weird ass uh, opening ads like that for the rest of the month. So be prepared, people. And then uh, yeah. we're we're also going to be. Of course, he decides to sponsor us the month we have two celebrities on, and we have to read embarrassing shit like that in front of them. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I wasn't sure what was going on there. That's uh, oh, I see what I see. That was an advertise that you ran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> mark's yeah definitely uh, putting the comedy and comedy podcast yeah. <laughs> mark's an awesome. mark's an interesting guy to say the least he uh he was on the show a few weeks ago and uh yeah that was uh that was a wild time <laughs> but uh but yeah. first we want to start off by uh you know you're you are a musician and um uh, the first thing we got to ask is you are a, a country musician um how right. how exactly does a canadian get into country music well it's a long journey but it didn't start with country music i started me and a few buddies from high school we got together one day and said you know there's like ladies all over the school we need a way to entice them to get them to to look our way and so what we did is we got together and we started a, a punk rock band and so we were in home economics class one day and we were learning to sew because that's what you do in home economics class and you learn to sew and cook and we were learning this one hem this day and it was called a blind hem and I said boys at the time we were listening to Blink 182 and Green Day 
and we're listening to like Metallica, ACDC. And so we just said, that's the name. We're Blind Ham. We're going to be a punk rock band. And so we started playing all these punk rock songs. But the, the one problem we had was we'd get so excited about the intro of the song that we would forget to learn the rest of it. So basically <laughs> we knew like 10 intros to every, every popular song at the time you could think of. And, you know, I, I recall a time... Like I grew up, my mom and my uncle always played guitar around the campfire, but when they played, it was country music. It was Johnny Horton. It was Johnny Cash, Loretta Lynn, like all these classic country artists. And, you know, the one thing that struck me about seeing them play was, you know, it didn't matter at the family reunion if people were all of a sudden starting to fight because they've had too many beers or what was going on. You know, those guitars would come out and they only knew three chords and they couldn't sing on key. But it didn't matter. You know, all of a sudden, nobody was fighting. Everybody was sitting around the campfire. Everybody was singing along. And from there, I just decided, I said, man, I got to get into music. And I had an uncle pass away who loved country music, and he played guitar. So I was working in road construction that previous summer, and I saved up $1,100. I was buying this new electric guitar for the rock band. And when I went to his funeral, I went to the guitar store and something happened that day. And I ended up buying an acoustic guitar instead of an electric, went home, learned Johnny Cash, Folsom Prison Blues. And uh, the rest is kind of history, country music from then on. Yeah, that's a that's a good start, though, as, as jo- to start out with Johnny Cash. So that's that's uh, oh, yeah, you're, you're man you know what, the other one heart right there. Comes to uh, but again, I was stuck in learning these intros to songs, but yeah. <laughs> I had actually picked up guitar previous to that. So the punk rock band happened and then I got into country music and then I just all of a sudden quit playing. And this is before I had the new guitar and stuff. And I quit playing for probably a year. The, the guitar just sat in the corner of my bedroom. And one day CCR comes on down on the corner. And I thought, well, how hard could that be to play that <laughs> intro? And so I picked up the guitar and it all started there again. And then after that, my first song was Folsom Prison Blues and away I went. Yeah, I think as uh, as a fellow musician myself, uh, I've been a, drum- a working drummer for 30 years now. And uh, right. uh, I, I think all musicians have to do that rite of passage where they all start out in a punk rock band. And uh, that was <laughs> that was, and you know, there's some fun in that process yeah. too, you know. And there's some, you know, there's it's just you get, you look back on those times now, and you're like, oh man, that was so fun just doing that, and you know, mm-hmm. being in that moment in your life, and it really played a part in what became the next step in your musical journey as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but I, you know, I still have an absolute soft spot for you know, punk rock music and, and that whole genre, you know, even going back to the, the early days of punk rock all the way up to, you know, the pop punk era of the 90s and just the whole underground scene that permeated the 90s, kind of, you know, where where Nirvana came from and all that stuff and, you know, sub pop records and, uh, you know, the Green Day where they started out and, you know, just like I just have such a right. soft spot for that whole era and, uh, yeah. it, you know, it always just kind of feels like yeah, everybody has to start there almost, you know? Yeah. And it's funny you say that because where did punk rock music go? You know, like when I was growing up, like Blink-182 came out and it was massive. Like the yeah. band's warp Tour and everything was rolling and punk rock was so huge. And then all of a sudden, like 
you know what I mean. Maybe I'm just not looking for it, but at this point in my life, I'm like, you don't even hear about yeah. it anymore. I think it's still right. there. It just kind of went back underground, you know, and right. I kind of, and I've been asked this before about like what I think about the state of rock music. And I don't think rock is dead, but I just don't see it having the cultural relevance that it used to have. Like you used to be able to tell what kind of, person like what kind of music somebody uh, what somebody listened to just like by what they dressed like you know like it was such yeah. a it permeated everything in pop culture and now you just it's it's all I'm, there's like there's really no bands and there's no like real rock stars anymore you know like crazy rock stars well, I think the lines are so blurred, like with music these days, because of the way it's produced, because of the way it's released, you know, there's just anybody can have state of the art recording gear and record decent records and release it. And, you know, but, but the thing I'm saying though, is like, you'll hear Taylor Swift on country radio, but now she's so far away from country music, but it's just, nobody really knows what's what. It's just like, yeah. do you like the song or do you not like the song? Exactly. So it, I think it's evolved a little bit in that sense also. But it, it, you know, rock music, like it doesn't have that rebellious attitude that it, it I don't know, maybe it just became too mainstream. And because of that, it, it kind of, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the rebellious yeah. thing that it was back in the day. Well, a lot of it too is also just getting on the radio. Because you have country stations and pop stations and rock stations, but you don't have punk rock stations anymore. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, and they're not going to play punk rock artists on the radio because they kind of can't either because of the language or the message or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I- no, it's a, it's definitely a different landscape from. But you know what I mean? Uh, like, I was a little bit younger, so I didn't experience the whole. Uh, go to the rock and roll concert at a stadium, but you, I watched all the movies, like every single movie, like Rockstar and like that. Yeah. <laughs> like there's just they're even making more now because I think it's becoming like people look back at how it was, and I think they're like it excites them, you know, because it was like they they were, you know, everybody went to those concerts. They were a part of something massive, like you know what I mean. Those songs when they were released those songs, like the radio was the only way to hear new music. So it's like when, or you ordered the band CD, but you know, or well, I shouldn't say CD tape, whatever you had at that time. But it's like, you know, whoever were the top five rock and roll bands on the radio, the stadium was packed and it was like going to an NFL football game. You know, every concert there was probably tailgate parties and from what you see in the movies anyway, but Maybe you can speak more on that. Well, uh, even back when, uh, and I, I don't even know if you know this, Jacob, but I, you know, I was in a band called Fall as well in in early two thousands, and uh, we were signed to Universal Records, and then we went to Imprint Records, and we were on tour with Three Doors Down and the Xies, and uh, you know, we were kind of at the tail end of that whole kind of rock star rock radio thing. And we could see it crumbling around crumbling down at the time. Cause you look at, at mainstream uh, terrestrial radio. And I mean, at the time they were playing tired old 10, 12 year old playlists and you listen to the radio now 
and it's still the same. It's as of now a 25 year old tired old playlist. They're still playing. Like I can turn on our local rock station and I can set my watch by when they play uh, Rooster by you know Alice in Chains Alice every Chains, day. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, like every 30 minutes. Yeah, Once every 30 minutes they play fucking Rooster. I want to call them up and be like, you know, there's new music out there now. Like you're officially a classic rock station now. <laughs> uh, there is one time I had a song that was like I forget how long it was, but it was the shortest country song, basically that any radio programmer had ever got. So every time the news was coming up, they would play that song because it was the only song that fit that. Uh, so maybe Ruth, I don't know, maybe it's not, but it's yeah. uh, it's funny you say that because it makes me think of that. It, it's hey, just at least he got a lot of airtime. Yeah. Well, it still gets royalty, and that that was like in 2004. I recorded that first album, and it's a song called "Next Weekend," and we added it especially for radio because it has a huge, huge outro, like a very uh, long outro, and so we edited all that off. And like, it's like every time, every time I hear that song, I'm like, <laughs> and you know, they think you think they play more current stuff, and then the next thing you hear is, "And the weather today is going to be sunny." And <laughs> So I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you're a current musician. Um, me, I'm kind of semi-retired at this point. We only play like one show every two years at this point. Um, me too right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, like, how, like, you, about your career exactly. Like, do you have a record label or are you completely independent or how, how does things really work these days especially with like like you said you know anybody can have like a soundcloud account everybody can upload their own album to like cd baby and different aggregate aggregators and stuff like that like do you even really need a uh, a record label these days well it just kind of depends on what you want to do but like so i i haven't like i've had a record label in australia before but uh, never in Canada, never in the U.S. And basically, I've always just, like, from day one, like, when I was getting ready to do my first album, I went in and I put together a five-year business plan. I had things on that plan, like shoot music videos, be on tour with bigger bands. At the time, I was playing for 100 bucks a night in these bars. Yeah. That You know what I mean? It's just, it was kind of scary. But it was a, the best place an artist can start out is, like, just bring your guitar, go to those bars, and force yourself to play for those people. And you'd be surprised how fast you get knowing how to entertain a crowd of people that you're not sure what's going to happen that <laughs> night. So that's basically what I did for the first two years and then put that business plan together. Went into the banks, got turned down. They're like, well, no, we're not going to loan money to a musician like to yeah. go record a CD in Nashville. And so I found a group called Community Features, and they fund rural businesses in rural Canada to keep those smaller places growing and thriving. And so I went in there and I met with the ladies and I showed them the plan and they said, Cody, you're 18. We've never seen anybody <laughs> at 18 put a five-year business plan together. Why don't you come back in a week? We're having a book, uh, annual board meeting and we can make a decision. So one week later I showed up there and uh, had a plan for everybody. And they said, also bring your guitar. We want to hear some of the songs. So I thought, well, they might want free entertainment or they're actually giving me a shot at this. <laughs> so I, I sat down in the room and I played them a few of the songs that I'd written for that album that I was going to go to Nashville and record. Mm -hmm. 
And a week later, I got a phone call and they said, yeah, you're approved for the loan, Cody. Uh, we're going to enable you to travel to Nashville and record that first album. And so since then, man, I've just been like, you know, I obviously have a great booking agent that I work with. And uh, he's also does management also. So he's been a huge help. El LeBlanc's his name. And now we've been working together since day one and just kind of built things from the ground up and uh, kept doing that, kept saving up, recording CDs after that. And uh, all, all of a sudden the doors started open. You know, yeah. it's funny what you do because you can run in circles, run in circles with no clear direction. And you sit down for one day or for even half a day and you write out, what do I want the next year, the next two years, the next five years to look like? And you actually, and it takes some bravery to do this because yeah. when you're playing a small town bar where you're getting a beer bottle thrown <laughs> at you, and then you sit with a pencil at the desk and you write down, you know, I'm going to be on tour with bigger bands, be nominated for country music awards, be shooting music videos. It's like it's so far away from that moment in your life that it's just like a, when it's, you know, these things start happening after you've written them down it becomes quite surreal and you're like, Oh my God, like this is exactly what was on this paper. And now everything's kind of unfolding. But without that, man, you just spin your tires and you're going in circles. And it's, uh, if, if I were to give any advice to anybody starting anything, like just sit down for half a day and clearly write out your goals. Like you don't have to have the super big plan yet, but just write, you know, one year from today, this is where I want to be two years, five years go you know and then the plan will unfold itself yeah you say that but also it's a lot easier to write a five-year plan when it's just you but when you're in a band with like four other dudes it's like my five-year plan back when i was in fall as well was like all right first year uh keep singer from uh oding on heroin uh year two keep guitar player from uh, alcoholism, <laughs> like, like you know, it's like that's that was my five year plan at the time, bro. Your five year plan, would... all five years, should have been just grow hair. Yeah, <laughs> I was already bald at that point. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to ask you though, because I knew I'd done some research. I like to 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 brush up and research our guests, and I knew that you started extremely young in the industry, and I'm a very young man. Like I'm. I don't want to toot my own horn or anything. I mean, I'm kind of big on the comedy scene. A little bit. A little tiny bit. Uh, I'm only 20, though. He's, and I've met a lot of bookers who look at my age first, and they're just kind of like, yeah, but you're a kid, and you don't know what you're talking about or doing. Like, Did you get any of that when you were first starting out? Well, not really. And the only, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I got that in a, a financial sense from the banks. Like I got turned down at three, four banks because it just wasn't a great investment for, for a bank because they're like, well, what do you have for collateral? And I said, well, I have a 94 GMC pickup truck. <laughs> and that's all I had. So it just wasn't working out. But so that's where I kind of ran into my obstacles. But because I kind of built, um, you know what I mean? I found those people. And and sometimes, like, you know what I mean? We get these perceptions that, oh, if I work with this guy, you know, that's going to be the big ticket. You know what I mean? But sometimes, yeah. sometimes we're working with those people and they're so busy with other people who are higher up on that list that we can't actually get a shot 
because, you know, to get that shot, you need to be a priority on their list a little bit. So that's where I found like working with people who had skills, you know what I mean? Had skills, like the guy who was booking and managing had people skills. He was already, you know, working with other singers before that. And, you know, but he was just really aspiring to do it and wanted to, and he wanted to have a great time doing it. And so we got together and we started working together. And I said, man, like you book the shows, I'll pay you a percentage of the shows. And so like for him, it was awesome. For me, it was awesome. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, down the road, those people who maybe you were looking at maybe getting to book you shows, all of a sudden there's an opportunity, but now you've built a track record a little bit and you're getting great feedback from the crowds and you're building press kits and you're built, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, you got some leverage to work with to become a priority to those people who may help you get to that next level again. Have you ever thought about doing uh, like a Patreon sort of thing, uh, like even joining Patreon? Because that's a lot of what musicians do these days. I mean, that site was built by musicians. And um, it was, it's basically where people can just subscribe to you and you get money every month. It's, I mean, we do the same thing for the podcast here. We just launched ours last week. It's basically for creative people to get out there and people can subscribe to you, give you money, and you give them product. And to be honest... And I'm not tooting my own horn. I even have it written down on one of my old day planners. I had the idea for Patreon 12 years ago in 2008. Yeah. And I uncle conspiracy. Dude, Jason. I I presented it to the band because my idea was at the time I said, look, why don't we do this? We, we build a website, right? And we put it behind a PayPal paywall where people can pay us like $5 a month, you know, $3 a month or $5 a month. And behind that paywall is, you know, we record, we write and record a new song every month that they get. We do webisodes, we do podcasts and put it all behind that paywall. And people, you know, when we go around and play shows and get new fans, you know, we have these little cards. We give them like, hey, come to our website, subscribe to the band. You know, it's just a couple of dollars a month. You get huge discounts on merch and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, ah, you're nuts. We ain't going to do that. We're just going to record a CD and go play. Here we are 12 years later. Patreon's a thing. And, you know, bands are making, you know, like all you need these days. And I don't know who said this, but as an independent artist, all you really need is about 10,000 people to follow what you're doing to make a nice living doing what you're doing. And that's yeah, for sure. honestly, it's not a lot of people, but what, the thing people don't understand is like, if you're on a major label or any kind of label, really, they're making most of the money. Then, you know, it trickles yeah. down to, you know, your management, your lawyers, uh, and everything else. And, and another thing people don't understand is when you're with a major label, that's not just money that's given to you up front. That it's like they're basically right. like banks. They give you money up front and then they want yeah. that money paid back plus interest. That's why most musicians oh, sure. who should have retired 50 years ago are still touring because they're broke. Yeah, no, for sure. So actually it's funny you say that because Last August, I started my own fan club, Cody Roadies. And it's a similar thing, but it's kind of my own community there. And so it's through my website or whatever, but it's a membership site. 
And then basically, like you're saying, like I do exclusive content every Thursday. I do fan phone calls. I do, you know, chats every second Wednesday. I do, you know, live streams. And I actually just started uh, implementing the online Cody Rhodes house concerts. So basically how it works is the members of the Cody Rhodes have the opportunity to submit their name to be a host for a house concert. And so because when... When the pandemic started, I thought, well, how can I, you know what I mean? How can I add a feature that gives back to my fans, but also enables me to be able to perform for people? Because this is kind of depressing, not being able to sing for people and yeah. do music. <laughs> and so, you know, basically say like this week I have two. So Sarah is going to do one. So it's called Sarah's Online House Concert. I send her a link. She texts it to all her personal friends, emails it out to her personal friends. And then basically I log in and I do them a private house concert for her and her friends. So it's been been pretty cool cool. actually. But uh, like you're saying, like it's amazing to have this technology and this ability to connect and to, you know, also, you know, from a financial standpoint, you know, be able to make some money doing music yet in, in the situation we're in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that sounds like a great idea. Like that sounds like something that I feel like a lot of people would want to buy into. Yeah, man, it's been fun. Like, and, uh, it's, you know what I mean? The only thing is I try to do two or three every week because it's, <laughs> but then, yeah, so it's been, it's been a blast though. But the live streams, like it takes, you know what I mean? You set up a camera in your office and uh, you live stream for 45 minutes. Awesome. You know, yeah. like it's just, uh, and, and for me, like as a musician, like, I don't know if I'm not doing music at some, to some extent, like I'm just not as happy as I on a regular basis you know it's just it's part of me and it's part of what i do and so connecting with people's kind of why i got into music in the first place and when i heard pandemic i, I always thought i thought you know <clears throat> there can never be recession for musicians because when there's a recession people just you know want to party more and get together and have events and like get togethers but this was like i was like this is a direct recession to the music, to the music industry. I never would have thought, you know, in my in my lifetime. But uh, but I guess that's where people evolve, and that's where people come up with new ideas and new ways to do things. Well, you know, like you said, with the technology, there's no reason why you can't do what you're doing. You know, doing the right. the in house, you know, personalized concerts and stuff. Like not too long ago, uh, I was hanging out with one of our good friends, L. B. Wilson, who. Used to own the Kraken where we used to do an open mic uh, here on the coast, but the Kraken, of course, folded up under uh, COVID. But uh, I was hanging out with him one night, and we were watching this comedy show um, that was online, and you had to pay uh, pay like uh, you know a ticket fee to be able to get into. I guess it was a Zoom room or something, right. and uh, you know you had your host who was in one area of the country introducing the comedians and then the comedians would come on wherever they were at in their own homes or whatever. And you would have, I think it was like anywhere from 50 to a hundred people, maybe even more than that in this like chat room watching a comedy show. So we're sitting there watching it and you're hearing the comedian, you're hearing the laughter and it's not the same as being in, you know, a live setting, but still it was cool to watch because you could still kind of feed off the audience. And it was fun because, cool. the, you know, the comedian would get on there and make, and you, he could see the people too. 
in the chat rooms and they would right. cycle through people for him and he could see different people and he would like make fun of them or whatever, like what their houses looked like and all that kind of stuff. So it's really cool to see what people are doing in this, you know, weird, weird thing we're in yeah. right now. You got anything, Jacob, as far as comedy goes online and like with video? Yeah, I, I did a couple of shows like that that were over Zoom. Um, I talked about this before on the podcast. I'm sure everyone that watches this consistently is tired of me shitting on these like one people <laughs> I did this Zoom thing with. But uh, I did the, a Zoom thing with some East Coast people. So I immediately think East Coast, New York, all of these people are better than me. So I really need to step up my game. I need to bring my A game. And thank God I booked this show. And it was just so horrible. I mean, it was just bad. From a performer standpoint, the people I was doing it with, like, they just, they weren't treating it like they were professional comedians. Like, they just didn't care. Like, they were walking around while they were performing and, like, filming their set. Just, like, walking through their house and shit. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> I don't know, man. It's like, that's just one bad experience though. Like I really wish I could get on a zoom show. That's like that with professional comedians where they'll actually have the resources and the time to cycle through like 50 people or whatever. But, uh, every right. online spot I've done so far has been just an utter nightmare because the only reactions I can see are from the other comedians. And right. I mean, as far as comedy goes, the hardest reaction to get is from other comedians <laughs> because they're seasoned and they know yeah. and they're about to go up next and they're like, I don't want to laugh at this guy. I want him to laugh at me. <laughs> and right. I don't know, man, I just, I cannot wait until I can just go out and, and do a spot again. You know, I must be a little bit nerve wracking, like doing comedy in front of other comedians. Like I know even for singing, like, I used to do singing contests when I first started into country music because all the radio stations would host talent contests. And those were the most nervous performances of my life, even at country music awards and stuff, just knowing all the other singers and all the other performers and players are there in the room. Like it was just, those were the moments like when I was like, and it's just ain't like playing for, you know, a great crowd of people from a small community or from a, from a community or who are non-musicians. It's just, it's not the same. Man. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's always that added pressure when you're performing in front of other creatives because it, it's weird because they know what it's like, but they still don't want to cut you any slack. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I honestly, like, even I like, though, like, hey, you were in my position last week, guy. Like, I like the challenge of trying to make the other comedians laugh because if I can make the comedians laugh, I know I'm doing something good. And there's nothing better than, especially like around here when we're at an open mic and I come up with a new joke or something I, I don't really know is funny or not. And I, I, you know, let this new joke out and the crowd doesn't laugh or they kind of chuckle. But I hear Jacob cackling at the back in the back of the room. I know I'm on to something. <laughs> yeah, I have the most like recognizable squeaky radiator laugh because I'm the kind of person where I I don't laugh like to make people feel better. Like I don't nervous laugh or pity laugh. Like you actually have to make me laugh. So if you hear me laughing, yeah. 
it's like I've done quite a few jokes that I've worked because I hear Jacob cackling in the back of the room and I'm like, okay, that's this is something and I gotta keep going forward with it. That's awesome. Right. Boys, I might have to sit on my desk soon. The sun is kind of setting here <laughs> and it's that. going through the blind. Right. That's all right, man. You got that kind of angelic ray yeah. coming down, you know. But uh, we're, we got about <laughs> 10 minutes left or so. Um, we usually like to go 40, 45 minutes if we can. Um, and we, we usually do like a top five list with our uh, guests. Um, but uh, we didn't really know what to do with you. But I was thinking like, what are some of your, your favorite, like, what are some of your influence? Like, if you had a top five favorite, you know, bands or musicians, whatever, like, what are some of your top fives? Well, I'm, I'm into quite a bit of everything, I guess I would say. Like, from starting out my music career, I was really into Keith Urban, and then, because he's just a great performer, great guitar player, and then from there, Eric Church came on the scene a little while later, and and his songwriting just blew me away. And like from that standpoint, like that what is what inspired me for years to, to get better at writing, just listening to his albums. And then, uh, you know what I mean? John Mayer. I love John Mayer. love all his stuff. Yeah, listen to him all the time. You know, there's a band from Canada here called the Brothers Landreth. They kind of got a John Mayer thing going on, but they got their own unique sound to it. And man, just... Joey, who was in the band, and also there was a drummer named Ryan. They used to also play in, in my country band. So we kind of all started out in the same time or whatever. And so they they tour lots, though, but obviously not right now. But, you know, they tour all over the world, those guys. And so, I, you know, they got a, just some amazing music. I love listening to them. And then, you know, like, who else? There's, like, Christian artists like Matthew West. I was listening to Matthew West. And just his songs, like... And it's coming from a, for him, from a religious side. But you know what I mean? When I listen to his songs, it doesn't necessarily have to be religious. Mm-hmm. It's just his songs have such deep meaning. You know, there's a song called Two Houses about two parents that are divorced. And it's about the child in the middle, kind of going back and forth to two houses. And so, you know, when I hear songs like that with that much substance, like there's just... That's what gets me is songs that have substance like that, that mm-hmm. uh, that have a great groove, that are just like well produced, and just like that's kind of right up my roll. Yeah. So if you could go on tour with anybody, like opening up for any act that in the world, who would you want to uh, go on tour and open up for? Well, that's a good question. But Eric Eric Church would be a good one. Like that'd be a pretty amazing tour to be a part of. But uh, also, like if if I had the chance to go on tour with John Mayer, I think it'd be cool because it'd be such a differentiating opening band to what's next. You know, I've played some shows. Like we played with, um, well, there's a Canadian band called Streetheart. I don't know if you guys are aware of them, but like they're they're classic rock. Like they were classic rock in Canada, had huge hits. And so we opened a show for them. You know, I opened some shows for like guys like the Oak Ridge Boys, mm-hmm. who I'm sure you've heard the Oak Ridge Boys or whatever. Yeah. But opening that show, you know what I mean? Like we're kind of rock uh, mixed with country, and they're straight up the row kind of classic traditional country. So you know, just to me, like when I can go see a show, like I, I love kind of watching like like a show where there's all sorts of different performers. Yeah. You know, it's not just 
country, 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 country. It's like you'll get two songs from a country artist, two songs from a rock artist, two songs from this. And because I, I just think music's universal. And like if you can learn to appreciate it, you just love all the different styles and all the different kinds. And to, to me, to see a show like that just adds so much from from all sorts of angles. Yeah, especially, yeah. you know, as you get older, too, you start to appreciate more styles of music, too. Like like you just oh, said, yeah. the Oak Ridge Boys. Like, when I was a kid, like, the Oak Ridge Boys, like, that was, you know, that was my grandma's music. Like, I can totally right. picture myself sitting in the her living room in the beanbag with, like, oom bop oom bop mile mile playing on the, on the credenza, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I never really appreciated that stuff when I was a kid. Like, my dad was really... Um, you know, my dad grew up as a hippie in the sixties and loved like the doors and Jimi Hendrix and all that kind of stuff. And then once the seventies rolled around and disco kind of got, you know, like was the big thing. My dad was like, I'm not going to listen to this. I'm going to country. So he started listening to all the like seventies country artists like Don Williams and Bobby bear and, uh, right. you know, Charlie Daniels band, all that kind of stuff. So that's I kind of got this whole huge mix of of different kind of music when I was growing up, but I, I didn't really start to appreciate country music until I got older, especially like Merle Hat. Like I, you know, recently I went down like a Merle Haggard uh, rabbit hole on iTunes right. radio, and then uh, listening to you know I still listen to Johnny Cash, and I was in a. Uh, a few years ago, I was in a, a cover band that we used to play at one of these uh, bars down on the coast. Uh, Jacob, I don't know if you know about the Julep Room. Uh, it's a, yeah, I know the Julep yeah, Room. I've tried to get a mic there before. Yeah, it's a cellar bar. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but Elvis used to go there back in the uh, in the fifties, like in the basement, or a- yeah, it's um, it's it's above it is uh, Aunt Jenny's Catfish House, which is an old like two three hundred year old house right on the uh, the bay in Ocean Springs. And then, you know, they, they made it into a restaurant in the, like the early 1900s. And then there's a cellar down on the side of it that goes, you know, down underneath it. And it's really low ceiling. Like I'm six foot three and the ceiling is like, you know, five inches above my head. But they have a bar down there. Like Elvis used to hang out there. Um, I think... Uh, what was the the big gangster back in the forties like? Uh, Al Capone. Al Capone used to hang out there, but we used to have a cover band and we played in there. And we used to play a lot of Johnny Cash when I was when I was in that band, and you know I really got an appreciation for it the older I've gotten, and uh, you know like I, I'm I don't really listen to too much new country, um, but right. you know like the old stuff I'm all down with, hundred percent. Something that's amazed me through the years is like Johnny Cash. He's just as current today as he was when he started. You know, like it doesn't matter if you're in a high school performing or an elementary or like at the lake or at the on a big concert stage. Like everybody knows us all. Yeah, like it's not even a question. You know, it's just crazy to me. Well, the cool thing about Johnny Cash is like his guitar playing style and the way he wrote songs even though it was super simple it was just the you know his persona his lyrics the way he sang and you know you can easily like learn to play guitar just by 
you know, listening and playing along to Johnny Cash because those songs were so simple, but yet they were, they had so much behind it. I think that's, you know, there's something to be said for that. You know, simplicity sometimes cuts through, especially like in the, the world of crazy technology that we're in you know sometimes just the simplest thing can just amaze people Mm -hmm. and you know that's uh that's interesting that yeah i've always thought that too i think you know uh, with the technology getting the way it is and you can pretty much make an entire album without even having to touch a musical instrument i think that everything's going to kind of circle back around soon to where like just somebody sitting there with a guitar and just writing songs is going to be like, people are going to be like, you know what? This is kind of nice. Right. Well, I've had moments like that. Like there's this guy actually out of, I think he's from Utah, but I could be mistaken, but his name is Gregory Ellen Isakoff. And he just plays like acoustic music. Like he's got some fiddle, but he uses such great dynamics. Like I'm sure he just records in his house, but man, the closeness of his, voice in those recordings and the closeness of the instruments and the way the way everything's brought across onto the recording is just like you're there in the room with them and there's something pretty cool about that you know to feel like you're sitting there and they're actually just playing those parts as you're there with them oh yeah (laughs) but that's well i think uh we are getting to the end of the podcast here boys Oh, well, yeah, thank you, guys. This has been a true pleasure to get to catch up with you guys, and hopefully we can do it again. Yeah, man. It was really of nice course, to, to meet you, and uh, let everybody out there know like where they can find your stuff. And uh, so, you know, and I'll put it in the show notes, too, and uh, we'll definitely tag you and everything when we, we post the show this Saturday. Yeah, sure. So the website's codyprevo.com, C-O-D-I-E-P-R-E-V-O-S-T.com. And on there, there's, you know, you can get to all the social media channels, but there's also a store with all sorts of different merchandise. And there's, you can actually check out the Cody Roadies on there, which is my fan club I was talking about, where you can join. And there's new content every week, new songs. I've released actually quite a few of my iPhone demos from writing sessions. (laughs) So it's pretty cool to have a channel like that where you can release that stuff. Because I have hard drives and hard drives of content. (laughs) And I'm like, well, what am I ever going to do with all this stuff? <laughs> and, you know, that's just given me a great outlet to, you know, release it to people and yeah. and uh, appreciate the people who have supported me from day one. And so there's that. And then there's also on there, like, this doesn't cost anything, but you can join the Cody Prevo Diaries. And it's basically you sign up and you start getting many diary stories about my career and where it started. Like, I talk about that small loan and then talk about opening for some of the bigger bands when that started to happen and then you know the awards things and all the all the the whole journey of my music and where it started and where it came to and why i'm doing it and so you can just join there and get all those stories and uh yeah there's lots of stuff on there awesome well it's been a pleasure having you on the show you definitely have uh you know i love your accent it's it's the greatest thing i could listen to you talk all day just come over and just read me bedtime stories so i can go to sleep at night <laughs> well if the border was open i'd yeah. try to get down there <laughs> and uh just want to let everybody out there know that the uh the open micers podcast patreon is officially live and a huge shout out to our very first patron mr derek diamond himself 
um, who has an excellent podcast himself, The Derek Diamond Experience, where it's sort of like this show, but his is more uh, movie and film focused. He talks to a lot of actors, uh, directors, screenwriters, um, you know, people that are in uh, the the movie industry. So it's a really cool podcast to go listen to if you're in if you're interested in the film industry. It's the Derek Diamond podcast, and he just launched his Patreon this week as well. If you're interested in helping him out, but if you'd like to go throw us a few bucks a month to keep the uh, the lights on here, it's very simple. It's Patreon.com/slash/OMPodcast, and that'll take you right to it. And uh, Jacob, anything you want to throw out there before we leave tonight? Yes, I want to talk about our Patreon because you guys need to send us money. God damn it. But no, seriously, you with every tier, you get a lot of stuff. Even if you just throw us $3 a month, not only do you get the early access episode, but you can see all week I've been posting random shit yeah. that engage our Patreon supporters so that gives you guys other exclusive stuff because I get bored very easily. So you are never going to know what extra content you're going to get every month. You're going to get sneak peeks of before our podcast and after our podcast. If you want to see us talk more with celebrities like Cody or celebrities like the guests we're going to have at the end of the month, subscribe to our Patreon. We'll also have exclusive bonus episodes with just me and Jason, or maybe we'll have a guest on. And yeah, give us money. Not only the bonus episodes, but we, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. You, my friend, what's behind you in the background? Uh, it's, I got a Dragon Ball Z poster and a <laughs> bunch of pop vinyls. Oh, okay, crazy man. I was wondering, it looked like you're collecting something yeah. there. Oh, yeah, I'm a huge collector, I'm a huge nerd man. Well, I was gonna tell That's everybody awesome. on the Patreon, I am going to start recording as of tonight. I'm recording all the pre and post show banter that uh, me and Jacob get into when we talk about stupid crap. So, if you want to hear all that. <laughs> We're going to release that as an extra bonus episode every month. So you're going to get that for free if you go join our Patreon. And uh, thank you to Derek Diamond it's for uh, being our very first patron. And as uh, as uh, I can't talk anymore, I'm done for the day. <laughs> so it's Cody, Alzheimer's. We'll see you guys yeah. next week. Cody, thank you so much for joining us again. It's been a huge pleasure, and we definitely want to have you back again. I hope you you enjoyed your time, and you'll definitely want to come back. Well, it's awesome. Can't wait for the next time, boys. This is great. And uh, thanks for introducing me to this. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, if you would like to send us an email, we are at openmikerspodcast at gmail.com, at openmikers on Twitter, and openmikerspodcast on Facebook. So we will see you guys next week. guys that was good and uh thank you for watching us on twitch tonight had a few viewers nobody was in the chat room but we had a couple of viewers and uh thank you guys and we will see you next week all right and the stream is done awesome that was a great episode yeah, man. It was. like really that was that was fun actually you know you know what i love about this stuff is like it goes by so fast like you oh, know yeah. you're doing an hour and it's like, it just feels like you've been on for like 15 minutes, yeah. you know, and then it's like, oh, it's already done. Wow, that's crazy.
Right. Like, even though we've never met before, it feels like you're just catching up with an old friend, yeah. like, over a cup of coffee, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, like, you know, there's one guy, though, who did ask to do a three-hour interview. And I was like, oh. uh, <laughs> I'm not sure about a three-hour interview. Yeah, like, last week. <laughs> I was like, what would we yeah. Three. I'm sure we would find something to talk about, but I'm like, man, three hours? Like, yeah. I don't know if anybody wants to sit to me for three hours i had to be on a podcast once that went almost three hours and i, and I was just like guys i gotta go <laughs> my, my, my phone's going dead um but we had a guest on last week one of uh guys that was in one of my, one of my movies um dan levy and uh the dude's just such a good like talker it was like we went an hour and a half and it felt like it was like 30 minutes and we were like guys we got to cut this thing off man we're gonna run out of like yeah space in the storage we're not gonna be able to do anything else this month yeah he's definitely yeah, a good exactly. interview because you can like vaguely prompt him with anything yeah, and then the next 20 minutes yeah. is covered <laughs> right but yeah, I think yeah, all, the, all the actors you bring on have been like that. Yeah, I think actors just love to talk. Oh, they just love being in front of the camera, man. It's like where they thrive and survive. Yeah. I think I'm a, a suntan line here <laughs> from the blinds. You're yeah. going to have like, you know, just like you're going to look like you have war paint on or something tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Canadian Braveheart going on. <laughs> Uh, but um, I'm going to go ahead yeah. and get going, you guys. And uh, thanks again for, for joining us, Cody. And uh, hope to talk yeah. to you again soon, man. Be back, guys. Have a great night. Thank yes, you. Yes, sir. You right. too. Night, Jacob. Good night, man. Yeah.